course, follows that incredible passage where we remember the Lord Jesus, who being very nature God, didn't retain equality with God, but set aside something, whatever that mysterious thing is, he set aside the accessing his divine attributes and came into the world, humbled himself and became fully human amongst us without ceasing to be God, but without accessing the abilities, the attributes of God while he was here. And then humbled himself in complete obedience to the Father's will and died on the cross for us. And you'll notice that therefore, uh, verse 9 begins with a therefore. Therefore God has wholly exalted him. He obeyed. He submitted himself. He did God's will and therefore God has highly exalted him. Going to invite you to bow with me and to pray. Well, before we jump in, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, again for this service, for this opportunity. And thank you, Lord, in advance for what you are going to say to us. Help us to be hearers and doers, that Jesus might be pleased, we ask in his name. And everybody said? Somebody once said, there is no value in mountaintop experiences unless they help us live in the valleys. What do you reckon? There is no value in mountaintop experiences unless they help us cope and live in the valleys. I think it's true. There's no value in knowing a truth if we don't apply it or implement that truth into our lives. There's no value in knowing. I know. No, I won't say that. It's one thing to know something. It's another matter to benefit from the knowledge. Everybody agree? Good, let's close in prayer. As I said, Philippians 2, 5 to 11 is one of those great theological passages in the New Testament. It's a purpose of writing which, in balance, demonstrates the descent of the Lord Jesus to the point of death and then through resurrection, God exalting him to the highest throne, returning to where he came from. Now, our knowledge of that is meant to lead to a response, a reaction. Just like in verse 9, there is a, a therefore... Therefore God exalted him. That's God's response to what Jesus did. Notice verse 12 begins with, therefore. This is our response. Verse 9, 10 and 11 is what God did in response to Jesus. Verses 12 to 18 is what we are to do in response to Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are to, in a nutshell, verse 13, we are to work out what God is working within us individually, but also what he works within us, you know, among us, corporately. There is that dimension to following the Lord Jesus. We are not simply followers of the Lord Jesus individually. We are that. We are not simply that or not only that. We are that plus we are a member of a family and we have commitments because of that. Notice the Apostle Paul does not say that we are to work for our salvation. He says, work out your salvation, not work for it. Nor does he say that we are to work at it, work at your salvation. doesn't say that. And nor does he say that we are to work towards our salvation. There are two very commonly held but incorrect beliefs in our country. The first one I've titled, Wayne, 
I can't see anything at the back. I'm not sure if that's going to change or help or not. But Gary, if we're up to about slide one, two or three, I think. If you can access them. If you can't, then you can't. Okay. The first one's called Wayne. W-E-I-G-H, you know, however you spell it. God uses, these people think, God will use something like balancing scales where he'll take the good things that I have done, my acts of kindness and my consideration of others and, and my generosity towards other people, he'll weigh those good things and he'll weigh it against my, um, my indifference and the wrong things that I have done and my lack of care for other people or whatever. And if it weighs you know, more on the good side, then I'm, my destiny is sealed, I am in. But if my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds, then unfortunately I am out. Very commonly held belief in Australia. Very commonly held belief in the Western world, in fact. <clears throat> and you know, and what a privilege it is for you to know, that's totally wrong. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth and the life. No one, doesn't matter how the scales balance, no one comes to the Father except through him. Acts 4.12 says that there is no other name, there's no one else, there's no other name given under heaven, given amongst men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. Weighing is not true. And if you know that, then you have been blessed because God has given you a spiritual truth. The second incorrect belief is what I've called waiting. Now this involves if weighing involves non-Christians, then waiting involves professing Christians. And waiting is, I've made a decision to accept the Lord Jesus and so be saved, but now I believe that I can sit back on the gospel train and just simply enjoy the ride. I'm safe and secure, so I can sit and soak until the second coming. I may not use these words, but the reality is I think that I can be complacent and uncommitted because I prayed the sinner's prayer, I accepted Jesus, and therefore I am saved. At the very best, this sort of thinking is irresponsible, but at worst, it's a deception, an illusion. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. As Calvin said it, we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. It's a great phrase, I'll give it to you again. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Because faith without works is dead. The faith that is real, the faith alone in Christ, which is real in Christ alone that saves, is a faith which has consequences, it brings implications, it brings applications into our lives. We are not saved by our works, that's weighing. We are not saved without our works, that's waiting. Now, of course, there are exceptions to that. The thief on the cross was saved without any works, but only because he didn't have any time to do any. But for those of us who have time to do them, we are to be doing them. And if we are not doing them, it's either at best, as I said, irresponsibility, or at worst, it's a deception. You think you're saved when in fact you're not. The true response is that we are saved for good works. Let me illustrate that, and not that I need to. You people, I'm, I'm pretty sure, are pretty familiar with this. 
Paul's instructing us here to work out our salvation, which God has already worked within us. God wants us to do something with what he's given us. It's like in John chapter 5, when the Lord Jesus says to a paralyzed man, rise, pick up your mat and walk, pick up your bed and walk. He's paralyzed. And Jesus says, stand up. What does he do? Stands up. Jesus did something in him as he commanded him to do something. He worked something in that he was to work out. Make sense? Doesn't, okay? I'll give you another illustration. Lazarus, John 11, in the tomb. He's been dead four days. He is dead and he is deaf. Because he's dead. Jesus goes to the tomb and what does Jesus do? Lazarus, come here. Lazarus, come forth. He's dead and he's deaf. And Jesus speaks to a deaf, dead person and says, do this. And what does he do? He does it. How can he do it? Because God worked it in him. God always does that. God always equips and resources us in that which he commands us to be doing. That's what verse 13 says. For it is God who works in you. God's doing something both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a great verse. Memorise it if you haven't already. Underline it in your Bible. Stick it on your post-it notes, on your mirrors. or Stick it somewhere where you'll be reminded of it constantly. God is at work in you if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus. To will. He's giving you the desires. He's giving you the want to. He's giving you the enthusiasm, the motivation. You've had that experience, I'm quite sure, if you know Jesus. You've been sitting there watching TV, like, like last Monday, like I was, uh, watching the Super Bowl. Who watched the Super Bowl? One, two, two, three counting me this church will not be blessed <laughs> next year people watch the Super Bowl while you're watching something that you're really in tune with suddenly the Holy Spirit will place something in you you might be driving in the car you might be in a conversation with somebody you might be watching TV whatever suddenly you'll get this inner prompting this inner desire this inner thought read your Bible or pray or call this person ever had those that's God placing these promptings within you and giving you that desire, that want to, that little push. It's what he wants you to do. And it's maturing in Jesus is actually learning to discern and to respond to those. For God is at work in you to will, desire, feelings, enthusiasm, the want to, and to work. He's giving you the ability, the opportunity, the energy, the drive to be able to do what he's giving you the desire to do. It's cyclical, isn't it? God is at work in us and he wants us to respond to what he's doing within us and to work it out. What happens if we don't work out what God works in? Answer, we get fat. You'll get lazy. You'll plateau spiritually. Now, Heavenly Father won't give you something else to do unless you are responding to what he gave you the first time to do. He will bring you back to that point of obedience where you are still to follow him. The Lord won't take over our responsibility. He will work within us. He'll give us the will. He'll give us the desire. 
but then he will wait for us to do it. Just like a parent would help a child to walk, you know, by holding their hands and so on. So when we are young and in following the Lord Jesus, our Heavenly Father will assist us greatly. But as we mature and as we grow in him, those kid gloves tenderly holding us decreases. And we are expected to be maturing and taking responsibility. He expects us to do our part. There is an old poem that I discovered many, many years ago and I quote it often. God does the work of God. Man does the work of man. God will not do the work of man and man cannot do the work of God. Get it? God does what God can do, what only God. God does the work of God. He works within. Man does the work of man. We do our responsibility. God will not do the work of man and we cannot do the work of God. That's this tandem relationship. Well, in this passage, the Apostle Paul, in response to that incredible act of the Lord Jesus coming into our world, going to the cross, fully obedient to death, God's response to exalt him. And that one day in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the meantime, before that day, therefore, what are we to do? We are to be working out what he is working in. And he, does, he says this in, it's really six, but I'm giving you the first five. This is where I would encourage you, if you've got a pen, take these notes down. Write these verses down. You can't remember all of this. And we need to either mark it in your Bible or scribble on the bulletin, do something, write it down. He says, firstly, that we are to work it out continually the beginning of verse 12. He says, Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out. We are to do it continually. The great tragedy of many Christians, my observation is, that they are never any further on. They lack progress. Their lives have spiritually plateaued, if not flatlined. Their lives are marked by sameness. Same faults, same mistakes, same habits, same attitudes, same temptations, same failures, sameness. No progress, no improvement, no change. Something's not right. It is certainly true that we all have besetting sins. We all have those weaknesses in our personalities, in our, our lives, which are a weakness for us. And my weakness may not be your weakness, and your weakness may not be my weakness, but we all have weaknesses. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Lay it aside. It's an act. It's a choice. Wrestle with it. and Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us by looking to Jesus. The Christian life is not meant to be lived standing still, going up and down on the one spot. It's to be onward, forwards, upwards. And it's not, don't misunderstand me, it's not a 45 degree incline. You know, better and better every day. I'm getting, you know, better and better all the time. It's more up and a period of rest or stabilisation than up, period of rest and stabilisation. Just like children grow. That's how they grow, isn't it? They have these things called growth spurts. Well, so will we, spiritually. But our endeavour is always onward, upward. There was an old hymn we used to sing for me in a previous church. I don't think I've ever sung it here. And now that I quote it to you, you're not going to hear anything else because you're going to be singing this song for the rest of the message. I'm pressing on the upward way. 
new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, you know, plant my feet on higher ground. It's a great hymn, great truths. Our lives are to be marked by progress. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. This is a senior pastor, Paul, writing to another now senior pastor of the church in Ephesus, Timothy, a young guy in his 40s. You've got to be old to be able to say 40 is young, don't you? But that's about the reality. And Paul says, verse 11 of chapter 4, command and teach these things. Don't anybody look down upon you because you were young? It's 40. There you go. If you're 40, you're young. But set an example to the believers in all these sorts of ways. Verse 15 says, be diligent in these things that is just outlined. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Your progress. 2 Corinthians 3.18, same truth. And we all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one, uh, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. We're being in the process of transformation from one degree of glory to another, becoming more and more like Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, we are to work this out continually. That's what Paul says, verse 12. Just as the Apostle Paul was with them and they obeyed, so now he says, now that I'm not with you, continue to work it out continue to obey and that's the reality isn't it sometimes when people are with us we are good followers it's when we are by ourselves where we often slip so let's work it out daily diligently consistently continually is the word don't stop number two the second half of verse 12 he says we're to work it out my word is reverently the translation says um that we are to do it with fear and trembling. And you have to pause and think about these words because our Heavenly Father certainly doesn't want us cringing like a slave who is about to receive a beating from a master. Not cringing in fear, not paralysed by fear, but it's fear in that positive sense, which I always feel uncomfortable with in when they use the word fear, but that's me and my background, I guess. But words like respect, awe, reverence, that's the concept. Our lives are to be marked by this very deep respect for God and gratitude in our hearts for all that he has given us and has provided for us and all that he is doing in us. And what he gives, we are not to take for granted. What he says to us, we are not to ignore. But sadly, many do. It's fear of offending him or disappointing him. We are to work it out with fear and, and trembling. Deep respect, awe, reverence. To leave unused what God gives us. If God prompts us and we don't follow through, then we are either inviting his discipline or the removal of that which he has given. And it will certainly lead to a loss of reward on the day of accounting. To whom much is given, much is required. So what are we doing with what God is working in us, with what God's laying on your heart. I know many of you are passionate about following the Lord Jesus and you're seeking to your best endeavours to continue to do so. Keep on. Don't rest on your laurels. Keep going. But there are some of you, and perhaps far too many of you, you are complacent. You're not committed. You might say you're committed, but your life does not demonstrate or show that you're committed. 
then this word is for you, that you are to work it out reverently, continually. Here is an exercise for you, and I'll give you two Bible passages, and time is gone. Here's the exercise. On a piece of paper, at the end of every church service, at the end of every quiet time you have during the week, write down what God says to you. Write down what the Lord wants you to do. If he speaks to you, if he says something to you, if he invites you to do something or to give up something, write it down, record it, and do it. Do it. Otherwise, it's going to be another wasted Sunday. Otherwise, it's going to be another wasted quiet time. I can imagine the Lord saying, look what I've worked within you, but what has come of it? I gave you the desire, I gave you the ability, and what did you do with it? Two Bible verses... You can write them down or come to me afterwards and I'll repeat them for you. It's Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 4 and verse 7. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 4 and verse 7 says exactly that. God bemoans what he has done for Israel. I did this and I did this and I did this and where is the fruit? There's nothing. Isaiah 5. And then more difficult passage, Ezekiel 33, verses 30 to 33. Ezekiel 33. Verses 30 to 33. Same story. The Apostle Paul, God's word says to us that we are to work at our salvation continually, reverently. Verse 14, submissively. I'm going to have to go really, really quickly. I apologise. Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's not against each other. That's against God, primarily. That's the context. Remember the two stories of the two, uh, the, the stories of the two sons that Jesus told about. Father came and asked one of the sons, "Will you do this for me?" And the son said, "Yes." But then later changed his mind and didn't do it. Father went to the um, to the second son and asked him to do something, and the father and the son said no. But later changed his mind and did it. Jesus' question: Which one of these two sons did the will of the father? The answer is obvious, isn't it? Not the one who said yes but the one who did it. Consistent New Testament theme. Do what God wants us to do without grumbling or disputing. And there's lots of references in Exodus and Numbers to God's people grumbling and complaining, particularly against Moses, but really against God and what he was doing. And we can be guilty of the same thing. I did want to use this illustration. We are naturally reluctant to submit ourselves to the authority of another. And that includes submitting ourselves to the authority of the Lord Jesus. We really want to assert our will. We really want to do what we want to do. Just like a parent will say to a child, it's time to clean your teeth and it's time to go for bed. What does the child do? I'm sure your children and your grandchildren don't do this. Mine don't anymore. The child often will sit there and ignore the instruction, pretending that they haven't heard. Good parents at that point do this. Good parents get the attention of the said child. Make sure you have the attention of the child in a loving, low, controlled voice. Repeat the instruction. It's time to clean your teeth. Time to go to bed. Child heard it, and now it's obedience or disobedience. If there's disobedience, there are consequences. And there must be consequences. 
train your children to be obedient to your voice. Bad parents do this. Time to clean your teeth, time to go to bed. Child ignores them. Raise voice slightly. It's time to clean your teeth, time to go to bed. Still ignored. Raise your voice just a little bit more. Maybe say the child's name. Rhonda, it's time to clean your teeth. It's time to go to bed. Child still ignores. Why is the child ignoring the parent? You know the answer. Because it hasn't yet reached that decibel level where the child knows now there will be consequences. Until it reaches that decibel level that the parent has chained the child in, then the child will be obedient or there will be consequences. Is that true? Yes, it is true. And not in this church and not our young parents, but out in the community, I see a lot of that happening. And I even see it in my... I wonder if they hear my podcasts. I even see it in my own family. I see the way my son and my daughter-in-law deal with their, their children, my grandchildren. And they are incredibly patient and they reason with the child and they go so far, they get their child's attention and then they reason with them. For me, they reason too much. Tell the child once. If they don't do it, tell them again when they've heard it. And if they don't do it, then discipline them. <laughs> discipline them in a way which is appropriate of course. And do you know what happens then? Then the child will learn to obey when it hears. And you will teach the child that that's very, very important. If you don't have consequences, you're not helping your child. Well, so too us with God. The whole point of that illustration is the Lord says things to us. And sometimes we, like a child, ignore it, question it, hesitate in obeying it, doubt it come up with all sorts of reasons and excuses because really we don't want to do it. We want to do our own thing. Well, our God is a loving father and he is the best parent and he will do like what a good parent does. He'll get your attention and he'll say it again and he'll wait for obedience. We are to work it out authentically, verse 15, then we will be blameless and without blemish and innocent. And, the, and number five, we are to work and we'll work it out evangelistically. Notice these connections and I'm going to close. Do everything without complaining or arguing, primarily against God, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. People will know what we are like. We are his children. We are obeying him in the midst of a world which is not straight. It's crooked. In the midst of a world which is depraved, it's twisted, it's got misunderstandings of all sorts of things, and we all actually shine like stars in the night sky as we hold out the word of life, as we both hold on to it and hold it out, as we work out what God works in continually, um, reverently, submissively, authentically then we'll be an evangelistic tool in our Heavenly Father's hand. We'll be doing it evangelistically. We'll be seen to be his children and he will use us to grow the kingdom of Jesus. Um, our time is gone. Um, the musicians might want to come back and just play some nice quiet background music. But I'm going